Hi everyone, I'm Rick Barron, your host, and welcome to my podcast, That's Life, I Swear. On January 15, 1919, Boston was hit with a massive flood. The flood rushed through the streets at an estimated speed of 35 miles per hour, killing 21 people and injuring about 150. By the way, I forgot to mention, the flood wasn't water. It was molasses. Talk about a sticky situation. Let's jump into this. The Great Molasses Flood of 1919, also known as the Boston Molasses Disaster, was a catastrophic event that occurred on January 15, 1919, in Boston, Massachusetts. It was caused by the sudden rupture of a massive molasses storage tank, which released a 40-foot-high wave of sticky, syrupy molasses that swept through the streets of the city's north end neighborhood. The molasses tank was located on Commercial Street near the waterfront. It was owned by the Purity Distilling Company. The tank was about 50 feet tall and 90 feet in diameter and contained an estimated 2.3 million gallons of molasses, which was used to produce industrial alcohol, a very key ingredient in the manufacture of munitions during World War I. Now here's some data points I'd like to share with you. Exactly how much is 2.3 million gallons of molasses? I did some digging around and I found two examples. If you were to potentially try to make cookies out of this 2.3 million gallons of molasses, you could probably make anywhere between 292 million to 584 batches of cookies. Another example, three and a half Olympic-sized swimming pools. The tank was constructed in 1915, and as mentioned, its purpose was to ferment molasses to produce industrial alcohol. With World War I just sweeping across Europe, the munitions industry had an unquenchable thirst for the industrial alcohol needed to make cordite, a smokeless gunpowder used in ammunition and artillery shells. As is always the case, the construction of the tank was rushed through to take advantage of lucrative war contracts. It's always about money, isn't it? Supervisors and inspecting officials overseeing the building of the tank lacked the engineering expertise to spot deficiencies in the tank's materials and construction. I mean, these guys were in such a hurry that the first shipment of molasses from Cuba arrived in Boston before the tank could be tested for potential leaks. Now, you would think that adherence to safety would have been high on the list, but sadly, it wasn't. Now, records show that on January 12, 1919, a 600,000-gallon delivery of molasses was delivered to Boston. The following day, the 600,000 gallons was pumped from the SS Malero in Boston Harbor to the storage tank that nearly filled it to its capacity. A day later, plans were made to transfer the molasses to railroad tank cars for transport to a distillery in Cambridge, Massachusetts. Now, prior to starting the transfer, it was discovered that the pressure proved too great for the steel tank's walls. The lack of quality control had been overlooked for too many years, and time was about to run out. Now, nothing was said about the pressure concerns, and transferring the molasses would start on Wednesday, January 16th, as planned. Hold that thought. Records show that on January 15th, the temperatures were hovering around, oh, 40 degrees Fahrenheit. Other than the standard noise of people walking around, cars going up the street, you know, it was just your typical, quiet, normal day in Boston. Well, 
the serenity was about to come to an abrupt stop. It was around 12.40 p.m. People living close by the tank heard a very loud rumbling noise, which was then followed by a loud explosion. And no sooner did the explosion occur that people heard the sound of metal ripping as the tank's steel walls just tore apart. The molasses poured quickly into the surrounding streets and into the neighborhoods beyond. Anything and everything in the path of the moving molasses captured onlookers and suffocating them immediately. Some people were so terrified that they just froze in place, only to then be washed into the nearby harbor. Other victims, such as a 65-year-old lady, was crushed by a collapsing building. She was sitting in her home at 6 Cobbs Hill Terrace, which extended along uh, Commercial Street with her daughter and two sons. The sticky substance quickly coated everything in its path, making it very difficult for rescuers to reach victims who were trapped in the molasses. Now, it took several days to recover all the bodies of the 21 people who lost their lives in the disaster, including a 10-year-old boy, Pasquale Noska. His father could see his 10-year-old boy from his upper window when the explosion took place. He then saw his boy being swept up by the molasses. Now, by the time he rushed down to the street, he couldn't find his boy. He was nowhere to be found. Sadly, his body was not discovered until sometime in mid-January. Pasquale had just celebrated his 10th birthday 10 days prior to the disaster. Now, as the waves of the molasses made its way towards Boston Harbor, the 40-foot-tall wave shattered homes, businesses, overturned vehicles, destroyed telephone poles, snapped the supports of a nearby elevated railway, and knocked a firehouse from its foundation. Again, the massive wave of molasses racing down the streets hit an estimated speed of 35 miles an hour. Rescuers spent days shifting through the wreckage as they searched for the injured and dead, and did not recover the last victim from the harbor until May 12th, almost four months later. Cleanup crews spent an estimated 87,000 hours cleaning the streets, buildings, trains, and everything else the sticky syrup touched as horses, pedestrians, and curiosity seekers tracked the brown mess throughout the city. When the dust settled, approximately 150 people were injured, and the damage amounted to about $100 million in today's money. The cause of the disaster was found to be a combination of many factors, including faulty design and construction of the molasses tank, poor maintenance, and a lack of safety measures. Now, the tank was built in 1915, and even then had shown signs of weakness from the start. The steel used in the construction was of poor quality, and the rivets used to hold it together were just too small and insufficiently spaced out. And the tank had also been filled too quickly, causing pressure to build up inside, which eventually caused it to burst. I mean, talk about a major list of oversight. Later, researchers at Harvard University determined that the cold winter air caused the molasses to thicken as it rolled through the streets rapidly. Now, this made the syrup wave even deadlier than it would have been in warmer temperatures. Harvard's Shamil Rubenstein, who is an associate professor, told the New York Times in November of 2016 that half the people who were killed died basically because they were just stuck in the molasses. Over time, many studies have been conducted on how and why such a disaster occurred. Now, one such study was performed by a team of Harvard students working with Nicole Sharp, 
an aerospace engineer and science communications expert who advised the Harvard students. Now, her expertise deals with the principles of fluid dynamics. The Harvard students conducted experiments in a walk-in refrigerator to model how corn syrup, which was a substitute for molasses for this test, would have behaved in cold temperatures. Armed with that data collected, they applied the results to a full-scale flood, projecting it over a map of the North End. The results, Ms. Sharp said, generally matched the recorded accounts from the time. The historic record says that the initial wave of molasses moving at 35 miles an hour was just outrageously fast. Today, the site of the disaster is marked by a plaque that reads, On January 15, 1919, a molasses tank exploded on this site and hurled tons of molasses through the neighborhood. 21 people died in the disaster. This plaque is dedicated to their memory and to all others who were adversely affected by the tragedy. What can we learn from this story? What's the takeaway? The Great Molasses Flood of 1919 reminds one of the most tragic and unusual disasters in American history. It's also a stark reminder of the importance of safety and quality control in industrial processes. Don't cut corners on the important stuff if you want to avoid wipeout risk. The entire molasses disaster happened because of a combination of impatience and attempting to save a few pennies. Had they paid added storage costs while the construction team checked the structural integrity, millions of dollars in lawsuits would have been avoided, not to mention that people's lives would have been spared. Well, there you go. That's life, I swear. For further information regarding the material covered in this episode, I invite you to visit my website, which you can find on either Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts, for show notes calling out key pieces of content mentioned in the episode transcript. As always, I thank you for listening. Be sure to subscribe here or wherever you get your podcasts so you don't miss an episode. See you soon.